Hey wrestling fans, it's Rick from King of the Cast. And boy, have I got a treat for you today. It's another pandemic episode of Four Questions with PTW Hall of Famer, Mr. Aaron Rose. True friend of mine for a long time, and I've been really excited to get him on the show. And this certain situation that we're in right now has given me that opportunity. So I hope you enjoy this episode as much as I enjoyed hanging out with Aaron and talking a little bit of wrestling. So enjoy this episode of King of the Cast with PTW Hall of Famer, Aaron Rose. Welcome to King of the Cast, the pro wrestling podcast about pro wrestling for pro wrestling fans. Uh, we're here for another special episode uh, during this pandemic of four questions. And today I've got with me Mr. Aaron Rose. Now, Aaron Rose and I have been good friends for about 20 years, uh, we figure. And uh, he's going to tell you a little bit about himself and his connection to the wrestling business. Oh, well, Rick, it's good seeing you again, man. How are you doing? I- I'm doing pretty good, buddy. Good, good. Well, I'm Aaron Rose. Um, I've been actually involved with the wrestling industry. Um, I was a ring announcer from uh, 08, no, 07 to about, uh, about 2017, 2018 more recently. Um, I've been involved with multiple promotions around, uh, around Kentucky and uh, uh, more recently got in, included into the PTW Hall of Fame. So that, that was really cool. But, uh, you know, my love for wrestling, just, it dates back for, for years. And, uh, and uh, it's something that's always been a big part of my life. And, uh, you know, I, I feel like I'm in a good community uh, with all, all the wrestling fans that are out there. I'm glad you said that about community because when I think of pro wrestling, that's exactly what makes my connection to the business is, is I don't have a direct connection with the business at all. I've, I've had the great fortune of meeting a lot of professional wrestlers because of different jobs that I've had throughout the years and connections I've had with arenas and stuff like that. But um, I've never had a direct connection with the business, but what has always connected to it is that community among the fans. Mm -hmm. And I have so many friends that I don't think I would have without professional wrestling. And you're probably one of those friends. Um, We got to talking a few minutes ago and we met uh, years and years ago because of a job you had. And uh, we got to talking wrestling and, we became friends, and we've been friends now, like I said, for 20 years. And when we run into, run into each other, it's like we haven't missed a beat. We're, we're going to talk wrestling. We're probably going to talk <laughs> about a couple other things we have in common and, um, and catch right up. So I'm excited you're on here today, buddy, and I'm really excited to ask you those four questions here in a minute. But um, before that, there's a few things I need to clean up from my last podcast. Um, it actually uh, just aired yesterday, so uh, if you're listening to this today, I posted it. was uh, It's a pretty quick turnaround, but... Um, me and brother Greg did a podcast yesterday and uh, four questions and we got to talking a little bit and I wanted to kind of clear up a few things. Um, a couple, uh, one of my fans kind of emailed me some stuff. Uh, uh, Mr. Josh Pettyjohn, uh, let me know that I kind of undersold Johnny Wilhoit's, uh, law enforcement career when I said he was a policeman and reminded me that he was actually the chief of police here in Versailles. And now he is our sheriff of Woodford County. And, uh, I'm, uh, didn't want to sell Johnny's uh, law enforcement career short at all uh, because I do respect him greatly uh, here and uh, he's always uh, been wonderful to me so and all that you know any type of encounter so I just want to uh, give him his props and uh, his successful law enforcement career also talking about uh, Johnny Wilhoit and his Memphis days uh, uh, brother Greg said that um, he kind of mentioned he didn't know why uh, Johnny had left the business and uh, Josh was also uh, nice enough to find me uh, a thread from a website uh, called uh, WrestlingClassics.com. And that thread, uh, I think it was from about 07, 
but somebody had asked a very similar question and the answer that they got back uh, from a fan or from somebody with some knowledge was that actually Johnny had hurt his knee in uh, 1985 and actually left the business actually in January, he probably hurt his knee in 1984 because he left the, the business in January 1985. So that kind of gives us a little bit of background and hopefully one day maybe I can get uh, Officer Will Hoyt to come on and talk to us a little bit. I've actually never talked wrestling with him, um, but uh, I would love to sometime and that'd be really cool. At the end of the podcast yesterday, I mentioned a, a moment in, in, uh, where I was actually talking about Billy Gunn, and I mentioned how Billy Gunn had dro- uh, dropped Dwayne The Rock Johnson in, uh, in my lap at a, at a Raw. And so, to, so if people want to double-check that actually really happens, they can. It's on the WWE Network. And uh, there's actually a show of Raw. Back then, they would do a live taping on Monday and then a, a, a second taping on Tuesday nights that would air the following week. Um, I was actually at the Raw in Louisville on that Monday, which would have been July 12th. But then again, I sat front row for the taping for the following week at the Raw at Rupp Arena on July 13th, 1999. So that airs on July 19th, 1999. So if you find that Raw on the WWE Network, it will be listed as July 19th. 1999 and right around the 46 minute and 53 second mark uh there'll be a there'll be a point where uh the rock and and billy gunner outside of the ring and uh billy throws the rock towards the ring post the rock hits the ring post kind of does a little uh spin and falls into the crowd and when he does he falls right in my lap i'll be sitting there in a red polo shirt plainest day as you can see uh, my girlfriend at the time, who is now my wife, will be to my left. You're right on the TV, and she has like on a striped polo shirt. Um, you can actually hear her scream when The Rock falls basically in our laps um, on camera, which is really cool. Um, we'll be sitting down because the uh, security made us sit down, but you'll notice everybody else around is standing up. In that moment in time, it felt like the entire world stood still and was completely quiet, and everyone was sitting down. But when I look back at it, no one was sitting down but like the three of us sitting right there and uh, and they were all screaming and yelling uh when billy gunn gets back in the ring he'll actually turn and say something to me i can't repeat here on on this podcast because i try to keep these clean but um <laughs> but you'll see him turn and point and say something he actually says that directly at me um which was pretty cool and i'll forever be a a, a fan of both those guys because of all that that happened in that match if you go back i back went back and watched it today to find that timing and that is a great match. They put on a really solid match. Um, uh, Billy Gunn's King of the Ring at the time. He had just won King of the Ring, so he's wearing the King of the Ring uh, trunks. And um, he's. Uh, they just put on a really, really solid match. And um, this, it was really fun to watch that match. Also, in that episode, uh, at a right, let me see if I can find this, right around the one hour, five minute, and 30 second mark, um, you're going to hear Test's music. And. Uh, Test is going to come out. Well, my wife uh, is, was a huge Test fan back then. And now she didn't really understand the idea of like heels and faces. So she didn't know that Test was a heel and you're not supposed to like him and so forth. She just, she just thought he was the greatest. And so she had made a sign that said Test Time on it. And huge, a huge pink sign with blue letters. And when um, Test is coming down to the ring, they put the camera directly on her with that sign and hold it there for a good three or four seconds. Um, and that's in that show as well. Like I said, right around that 40, uh, one hour, five minute and 30 second mark. So want a good shot of her, uh, holding that sign. That's kind of her raw moment, um, on that episode. 
That episode's also, it's just a great episode to watch. It's also the one where it's right in the high of the Stone Cold Vince McMahon, Vince McMahon uh, feud, and that's where uh, Stone Cold comes out in, um, on top of the blood bank, Central Kentucky blood bank uh, bus into the arena. And uh, it's just a really, really cool episode of Raw during that time, and I was lucky enough to be on the front row for that one and, and be on camera. That's before they charged such a large amount to sit on the front row. You would just get regular tickets, and if you were first in line, you got them. And uh, so my wife uh, at the time, like I said, my girlfriend was actually stood in that line for me and uh, got me those uh, tickets, and uh, we all sat down there, and it was just a tremendous experience. So somebody wants to fact-check that it actually happened, you can by uh, going back to that point. Uh, I'm watching thing, now. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you're going to hunt it down and find it. No, I'm uh, there. I'm there. Okay. This is great. You're going to find a really skinny looking me <laughs> and uh, sitting there next to me on my, on my right is a girl named Margo, who was um, my friend Adam's girlfriend at the time. And then my friend Adam is next to her and we would go to most all the events together, Adam and I, and we travel all around Louisville, Cincinnati, uh, Lexington, everywhere and try to catch all the live events. And um, he, he was one of the first people I know I've mentioned this on a, podcast before one of the first people i know was really into getting on the internet and finding stuff about wrestling and um he's the one who knew they were going when the line was going to happen and stuff like that was able uh, to get margo and molly up there to get us those tickets so anyway just a, just a great moment uh from that from that time period for me um the uh, other thing i'd like to mention this really isn't a clear up but just kind of something i failed to mention in the last episode and uh, that's the passing of howard finkel and um really like to, to talk about Howard a little bit, Aaron. I know you know uh, he was influential in, in, in your career of wrestling as well. And I mentioned to you that I was lucky enough on uh, November 5th, 1999, to be at a house show front row. Um, and Howard was the only person at ringside doing everything. He was doing the ring announcing. He was ringing the bell. Um, and he sat literally right in front of me in a folding chair. Um, on the other side of the railing. And um, during breaks, he would stand up and stretch and so forth and turn around and talk to myself and uh, Molly and my friend Adam. Uh, we got to kind of hang out with the Fink for an entire show, which was which was so awesome. And got a great picture of that uh, that I'm going to post up on the, uh, the Twitter and Facebook, uh, King of the Cast, at King of the Cast um, pages. And get uh, you'll notice I'll, in that picture when you see it, there's something weird on my head. And it's actually a Vince McMahon mask that I picked up at, I think, probably Party City. And I wore it to try to get heat from the wrestlers, and it worked, man. They they wanted to interact with me throughout the night on that house show, and I had some other cool moments because of it. But the best was the fact that, looking back on it, that Howard Finkel was right there and uh, kind of got to hang out with um, what I consider, you know, especially in WWE the, or WWF as well, uh, uh, one of the greatest ring announcers of all time and certainly an icon of ring announcers and of the WWF um, throughout my lifetime. So had a lot of respect for him. It was really cool get get, get to meet him. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, the, something I never got a chance to do, which, you know, make, makes me a little jealous of you, to, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you mentioned that Howard was kind of influential to you uh-huh. um, when it, getting into the business. So uh, let's get started on the questions, and maybe that'll lead us to a little bit about the Fink along the way. Okay. So 
These four questions are four questions I've prepared for Mr. Aaron. He doesn't know what these questions are going to be. And um, so he's going to ad lib a bit here and got to see where this conversation goes. And he's going to ask me four questions and we'll see where those conversations go. And uh, hopefully people out there listening to this podcast enjoy kind of the direction that we take and all the stuff we talk about. So let's go ahead and get started. Now, Mr. Aaron, you talked about uh, being in the PTW Hall of Fame. Mm -hmm. Um, which is something when you talk about being jealous that I met the Fink, I'm I'm super jealous of the fact that you've got to be a part of the, a direct part of the business throughout the years. Um, and, uh, to be honest, a hundred percent honest with you, if I could be, could have been in the wrestling business, I would have been a ring announcer. That would have been my choice. Now I will tell you this, uh, you know, and you might mention this later, but you know that I worked, uh, for a hockey team in Rupp Arena. Uh-huh. And they would come in and set up the rings and stuff the night before and night before matches and things like that. And because of my access to Rupp Arena at that time, we would use the arena itself as a place to act, to work out. Like because the job I had required us to be in the arena, uh, we would go in the arena and actually practice inside there. And there were sometimes the rings would be set up um, prior to, you know, the next night and we would be in the arena with a, one of the pro rings, all the backdrops and everything. So I've literally walked from behind the curtain on the thunder set and down the oh, ramp. Wow. I got to get in the ring. Now that's when I realized that WCW used like elevator cables instead of ropes mm-hmm. uh, in their rings. And um, you want, and that's also when I learned how hard it is to move those things. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> to like shake them up and down like the ultimate war. Of course he did with ropes and WWE. F, but um, to move the elevator cables and how much that has to hurt when those guys lay across those things. Uh, but um, so I've got to stand in the center of the ring, the the the, the, the uh, WCW ring they used for Thunder, and pretend I was an announcer, which I would do frequently inside Rep Arena when we were practicing. Even if there was no ring, I would pretend I was the announcer and I would announce random people as they showed up um, at the top of my lungs, and I'd either try to mimic the guy from the Kentucky Wildcats or I'd mimic, you know, professional wrestling announcers, but I stood in the ring and pretended to announce uh, my other friends there uh, uh, as wrestlers, as they came out from behind the curtain and stuff. So just as a fantasy type thing, I got to pretend to do it, but I'm super jealous. That you've actually been in the ring and, and announced um, uh, wrestlers. So I want you to kind of tell me about how it, uh, what it's like to be a PTW hall of famer, what the ceremony was like, what led to you being a hall of famer and then what, uh, what ceremony was like and give our listeners kind of some insight in that area. Well, uh, just to, just to give you a little bit of the background, uh, with, uh, primetime wrestling and my relationship, um, primetime wrestling, uh, started, uh, back in the mid two thousands to the late two thousands. And, um, with primetime wrestling, it, it, you know, it was a different iteration of it. Um, I wasn't involved with that one, but I was involved with the relaunch. And the relaunch of primetime wrestling, you know, was uh, <laughs> all the things I see. Um, the, uh, the relaunch of primetime wrestling um, actually came at a, uh, at a, a weird, not a weird time, but a, but a, a time where something new needed to happen. And uh, we were actually um, in Midway doing shows at the Thoroughbred Theater out there with one with one other company. Well, um, come to find out, you know, they had a mutual they had a mutual split. But then 
you know, one of the promoters I was working with was like, you know what, I still want to do shows in, um, in Midway. So he was like, I want to, I want to bring back primetime wrestling. I said, okay, well, let's, let's bring back primetime wrestling. Um, for that matter, the, the, uh, promoter of it, promoter of it is actually impact star Larry D. So, yeah. So, um, I've worked with Larry D for years and, uh, you know, I helped him get the logo together, the first logo, which admittedly wasn't great, but it was a start. <laughs> it got, it got better as, as time went. Um, but, uh, you know, it did that. It did the posters. I got the music together. I ring announced, you know, it's, I was kind of like the, the utility guy of the promotion. Um, and I also did videos for him too. So, um, we always had it. We had a show called the primetime rewind and, uh, we would recap the shows that we did, uh, from that, from that weekend, whenever we were there. Well, the thoroughbred theater in, in uh, Midway, I don't know if you've been in there. It's not big at all. Not no. big at all. Um, that ring that we had was a 16 by 16. Now, if it was an 18 by 18, it wouldn't have fit. It would have been wall to wall. That's how small it was in there. And you got to remember too, you know, most of your stuff that you see on TV, they're either done in 18 by 18s or 20 by 20s. Okay. So just keep that in mind. So if you, if you go to a WWE show, uh, you're looking at, um, a 20 by 20, if they're doing TV, if they're doing a house show, it's an 18 by 18. So the ring is a little bit smaller for that. But anyway, um, so we uh, we would set up, do the shows in there. And uh, the first show we got, there wasn't a lot of people there. It was, it was you know, the, the lower part was, was full and people were standing and stuff. But then the balcony started opening up and people started showing up in the balcony. And, you know, we're sitting there we're like, all right, we got a thing here. We need to figure out where else we're going to go. So we had Midway and then eventually things, you know, you know, it was time for, for us to go out there. So we left and we went to a little town, not even a town, honestly, we went to a, uh, we went to a little area called Macville, Kentucky. Okay. I don't Have you heard of Macville? I have not. Okay. Um, you go Harrodsburg, go to Harrodsburg, um, and then you go about. 15 to 20 minutes outside of Harrodsburg. It's in the middle of nowhere and you can only get Verizon service out there. That's, that's how, that's how it was. But the, it was an old school. It's a Macville school. Now it became a community center and they had a nice little gym in there. And the first few, first few shows we, uh, you know, we had, you know, 50, 75 people, which wasn't bad for that area. And then all of a sudden, you know, people are asking, when are we coming back? When are we coming back? When are we coming back? And then the shows got bigger and, you know, they went from there to when they went out of Macville, um, you know, we, we ended up getting about two, probably 200 at the most out there, which was pretty awesome. You know, for indie wrestling, that's great. And, uh, and then we moved to Harrodsburg and then he got, and then we got a loop of Cynthiana, um, at the, uh, city hall gym there. Cynthiana, Paris, Kentucky at the Bourbon County uh, Fairgrounds. And then um, they eventually added Georgetown at the flea market out there. And 
you know, I was involved in a, a various amount of roles out there. You know, I, I was not only the ring announcer, but at one point I served as commissioner. Um, you know, I was laying down the law, uh, which was really cool. I enjoyed that. And, um, and then uh, we decided uh, as we went further along that we were ready to do DVD tapings because that talent roster that we had was just getting so much better. And so many people were dedicated to the product. And uh, we did our first uh, show called Next Level, and uh, that was at the uh, Georgetown uh, Bingo Hall. And people packed the place out. Fans had signs. Wrestlers were tearing up signs, you know. Um, and then we uh, introduced a new title called the Elite Title, and and it just brought a whole new thing to primetime wrestling. And it was so cool to see all the work that that I did as a part of the background now i you know being in commentary when when we started doing the dvd tapings i was alongside uh lone wolf bobby blade um that man me and him are we mesh so well behind the mic and it's awesome um you know we both work for a promotion called pro wrestling freedom uh down in the corbin and london area and you know, us talking on the mic is just was just so much fun because our banner was great. And then uh, we introduced um, DJ Otis Badass from Double Q. He was our he was our third guy. And uh, you know, when it was time for me to step away due to due to other commitments like jobs and stuff like that, you know, I thought you know it, it was in good hands. And uh, and they definitely took the ball and ran with it. Uh, fast forward. A couple of years later, they had the PTW Sportatorium in Paris, Kentucky, and uh, you know that that's been taken off. You know, it's a it's a great location for a wrestling show. It's uh, near the uh, the Pericos restaurant, right at the edge of town, and the and the golf course and stuff. And people love it. And uh, it, it's it was so much fun. And you know, they called me and they said, "Listen, you know, Larry called me and said, listen, we wouldn't be here." without your work and we would love to induct you into our hall of fame that's awesome i was like no i'm just no me he said yes you 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 gotta think about it he said you you helped out this promotion so much and if it wasn't for your help on the relaunch where will we be now so um so i got to um i got there and it was it was funny when when I got there. I felt officially like one of the out of touch old guys because <laughs> that roster that's in there now are the the guys are you know younger. I, I haven't seen them wrestle too much. Uh, you know, I haven't been involved with it, so I really haven't you know really gotten the stories. But it was cool to be inside a locker room of hungry individuals who were ready to take their game to the next level. And they also realized that they wouldn't be there without the commitments of us. And um, it was really cool just to be able to go back into that locker room and talk to the guys and, and uh, you know, just kind of catch up on life. You know, obviously there are guys that I was involved with that are still doing it. Um, and, and they're, they're making a great run at it. And um, so that, that was really cool. And then, when when we started the show um it was really cool because my my inductor was bobby blade 
And Bobby was the one that inducted me into the into the Hall of Fame, and he, me and him go back a long time. Um, considered considered best friends. Uh, heck, we even took a trip to Disney World together. Not kidding. Um, <laughs> it was me, me, my wife Sarah, him, and one of his friends, and you know we all went down to Disney together. And uh, but you know just hearing him talk and hearing him about talk about. Uh, things I've done for the business, how far we've talked, the ribs we've pulled on each other, um, and and just how, you know, for example, I was there when his mom died. You know, everything just kind of set, you know, set in like, this is a real thing. This is, uh, this is unreal. And, uh, you know, I, I went out there and to, you know, friends, family, and, uh, and fans – and uh, just having that appreciation was really cool. And to be able to go and, and kind of give a me- message to the wrestlers that this is their time to go now. This is their time to to take the ball and run. You know, this is, this is for them. And uh, just be able to put that message out there was really cool. So um, all in all, you know, that, that week in itself was just unreal because not only was I doing that, um, in my actual professional career, I was actually heading out to Las Vegas two days later so I could do a national meeting with the company I work for that I got invited to for the very first time. So, you know, butterflies were happening more than once, <laughs> and it, but it was, it was one of the coolest weeks, uh, that, that I have been a part of in such a long time. That's awesome, man. I mean, I, I remember I was so excited for you and um, I associate uh, PTW probably with Paris, yeah. Kentucky now, um, but it's awesome to hear kind of its humble beginnings there in Midway, uh, which I hold dear to my heart. Cause my my first uh, big teaching job was in Midway at, at Northside, so oh, wow. I know, you know exactly what you're talking about. When you talk about thoroughbred theater and and things like that, and to think of a 16 by 16 foot ring <laughs> inside there with fans around it, uh, that seems pretty crazy. But to go from humble beginnings like that to, to a solid promotion over there in Paris that um, you know, still draws fans today. It's, it's, it's pretty awesome. Definitely. Uh, and I, I imagine you, you know, to, to, when you look back on it, you probably thought at the time you weren't, you know, I'm just here trying to help this guy out. But then it's, it, you know, you see the, you see it come to fruition and realize you had a big impact. And it's awesome that they, they reached out to you to give you that credit. So um, I will forever introduce, when I'm talking about you to my friends, I always say, he's a PTW Hall of Famer. So just get, <laughs> know that if, they, if you ever get to meet my other wrestling friends they're going to be like oh PTW Hall of Famer Aaron Rose awesome um, <laughs> that's just how I, how I say it now um, alright so that was awesome buddy let's go to question number two here it kind of leads us into uh, a little bit more about your announcing time um, I always think about you know everybody always says they have different people that influenced them in different ways and, and got them into doing the things that they did you know and they always want to give credit to those people and uh, so I want to know about your influences when it comes to whether it's, uh, you know, ring announcing or whether it was, um, you know, commentary or or other parts of it within the business. Who are your big influences and then kind of favorites that you might have mimicked yourself after uh, throughout your time? Well, for me, it, it kind of goes back a long way, to be honest. Um, it goes back all the way to when I was in elementary school. Um, I had an influence that was actually one of my teachers. Um, his name was Matt Calvert. 
and uh, he, uh, you know, at the time made it known that, you know, he was also the voice of the Yellow Jackets and, uh, and you know, for football and basketball. And it kind of intrigued me. I was like, really? You know, and, and you know, I remember going home and telling my mom, I was like, mom, mom, my new teacher, he, he, he does, he does a uh, radio. She's like, what? I said, yeah, radio. You know, I said, uh, yellow jacket, basketball, and football. She said, that's cool. And, uh, you know, we started talking, you know, I started talking to him, just got gathering information about it. And this was when I was in sixth grade, you know, I, I was an outgoing kid, no matter what, that, that was just me. Um, but then, uh, you know, later on, uh, I guess it was, I guess it was, um, right after my stint with the Lexington legends ended, um, I wanted to get into radio mm-hmm. and, Mac obviously was the voice of, of Woodford County for years and years and years and, and on WJMM. And, um, and, uh, we were, you know, I went and actually applied for a board op position there at WJMM. And, uh, you know, I went to him and I was like, Hey, Hey Mac, he said, what? I said, uh, I applied for a job at, at JMM. And he's like, really? I said, yeah. I said, I, I want to learn more about radio. And uh, he got me in, and um, I was there for a few months. And then, you know, I got through football and basketball season, and then all of a sudden I get um, a call to uh, LM Communications in Lexington and started doing some work for ESPN Radio up there. Uh, worked with Chris Cross and Mike Cameron and those guys. So I did that, and, uh, you know, I also worked with the other radio stations, uh, 107.9, 106.3, 96.9, all those. So I got a good amount of experience. And uh, through that time, uh, I was out doing a remote at, at one of the Legend games. And I talked to uh, a promoter that was doing something in Lawrenceburg. And I was like, hey, do you guys need a ring announcer? He said, well, actually, yeah. He said, send me a demo. Send me, you know, tell me what you, th- you know, tell, you know, send me what you can do. And, uh, you know, if I like it, we'll get you in. So at that point, I'm, I'm going through and I'm starting to study tape because I was a fan of Howard Finkel as my, as a, as a ring announcer. But I was also a fan of Gary Michael Capetta. You remember him from yeah. WCW? Yeah. yeah. So Gary Michael Capetta and, and, uh, Howard Finkel, those both have very vast different styles, you know? Um, Howard Finkel had the powerful, booming voice, you know, and no, you know, uh, Capetta didn't have the, the powerful booming voice. His was more high pitched, but he was very descriptive in how he announced. Um, and, and he had a style that was just something that, that I, that I really listened to. And, um, and I incorporated both of those into my into my style. I, I had the booming, the booming, excited voice, but I also was, you know, laying down a lot of information for everybody, and uh, it worked out really well. You know, I was I was able to uh, do that, and uh, you know, it, my first show that I worked had a whole bunch of 
former WWE guys on it, OVW guys. Uh, I was on a show with Rob Conway. Uh, uh, Chris Jericho was actually signing autographs for that show. So I was like, this is really awesome. My very first show, I get to ring announce in front of Chris Jericho. And uh, come to find out, you know, a few years later, this is a little funny anecdote. A few years later, we were... I was working at T-Mobile inside the mall, and uh, down at FYE, he was doing an autograph session, and for his for his band Fozzie. And then we kind of caught eyes, and he he remembered me, and I'm like, uh-huh. for all the people you see, you remembered me. He said, "Yeah, you're the guy. You were the rookie ring announcer, weren't you?" Said, yeah, that was me. And he said, he said. Uh, he said, "You definitely couldn't tell." He said, "You, you know, you're you, there's just a natural ability to it." So, you know, that was that was cool. And then, uh, you know, later on, I, I was talking with a uh, another promotion called Kentucky Championship Wrestling. They're running at the uh, at the time the National Guard Armory. They actually got their start at the uh, Lexington Ice Center uh, inside the gyms there. But um, you know, I talked to Bobby. I was like, "Bobby, do you guys need a ring announcer?" And he said, "Yeah." Yeah, but I think I think they do. He said, "I said, who do I?" And I messaged him, and they said, "I said, well, you know, where's your where's your background?" And I told him, "I said radio, and I've done a couple small shows for another promotion." They're like, "Awesome, okay. Um, why don't you come out do a show with with us, and uh, you know, we'll get you on do a tryout show." And uh, we'll see how it goes from there. The rest is history after that. You know, <laughs> I went from there to MWA, Primetime Wrestling, Pro Wrestling Freedom, Pro Wrestling Revolution. Uh, I worked for the NWF up in uh, Cincinnati, Ohio, which that's uh, run by Roger Ruffin, who was a former referee for the WWF. Um, he actually ref the Roddy, Roddy Piper, Bret Hart WrestleMania match. Oh, wow. Back in WrestleMania 8 in Indianapolis. So. Yeah, that, that man knows what he's doing, and uh, he has a very successful promotion up there. He actually trained Abyss, uh, Wildcat Chris Harris, Jillian Hall, um, and then, of course, more recently, uh, well, not more recently, but another big name coming out of that, Carl Anderson. He was an NWF guy, and I got to announce for Carl Anderson multiple times, and it was really cool, but we knew him as Chad, Chad Allegra. <laughs> That's who he was there. Chad Too Bad Allegra, and he actually used the Chad Too Bad gimmick during the Southpaw Regional Wrestling shows. Oh, okay. yeah, I remember. Yeah. Those are cool. I enjoyed those. Yeah, that's fun. That's fun. So, but yeah, those you know, Matt Calvert, uh, Gary Michael Capetta, Howard Finkel, all contributed to how my career got started, and uh, you know, it it was it's so cool, and uh, I'll, I'll be forever. I'll be ever forever grateful to Mac because he was the one that told me to get out there and give it a go. Um, not necessarily on the ring announcing side, but to get into radio and, uh, you know, I, I will forever appreciate what he did. It's funny because you know how lives crossed so much and Mac and I worked together for so many years. We taught together for so many years, we even coached basketball together for a few years. And he meant so much to me as well. And, um, just maybe the most genuinely nice human being to walk the face of the earth. Oh, absolutely. And, and he loved his kids too. He did. All and the students. You, you, I just, 
had so much respect for that man and he meant so much to me and it's really cool that a sixth grade teacher can have that big of an influence on someone and you can look back and and see that and although max uh gone on from this from this earth and um uh i i will forever be you know so grateful that he and i he and i crossed paths in our careers and i got to know him and work with him directly for for so long that um he's just such a big influence to me too that's really cool um that you said that uh uh, my next question kind of kind of follows up with that. It's kind of interesting how this is kind of flowing together here. But <laughs> my next question was, you know, any big name guys that you've gotten to announce? You kind of already answered that. So, uh, oh gosh. Luckily, <laughs> luckily, I'd already had a had kind of a, just in case you'd already kind of led, uh, got into that a little bit. I had uh, another question, and so this will be my third question, and that is, what about um, guys that uh, you know you thought should have made it big but didn't that you've seen uh, oh. your time can you think yeah. of uh, maybe one or two guys that you saw that you were like wow this guy's on the straight stardom path here he's going to be big really quick uh from this you know leave this indie promotion pretty quickly and, and go to stardom and then it just never never really happened oh you put me on a hot seat that's a hard one i'm sorry yeah you, you oh gosh your names you worked with and then you <laughs> had this question well i can go back to that too you know there's a lot yeah. more um <laughs> <laughs> um wow there there's you gotta remember in professional wrestling in the big leagues there's a finite number of guys n- number of spots that are out there um so obviously it's not going to work for a lot of people um one guy that comes to mind in particular he is he's a, a local wrestler um his name is uh, jordan cage uh, they call him Picture Perfect Jordan Cage. Um, I thought, you know, I thought he uh, he had he does have the skills. Period. I mean, he's a great wrestler. It's just like it, it never opened up for him. The 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 opportunities didn't. Now, don't get me wrong. He he became a great regional wrestler because he started working down in Tennessee and North Carolina for two very prominent promotions, uh, NWA Smoky Mountain which are called Innovate Wrestling now, and uh, AML uh, Wrestling down in North Carolina. And, uh, you know, great, great promotions. And he's been getting around, too. And it's just he had an opportunity to – he did one time a a match with uh, Impact when they were down in Corbin, uh, or TNA at the time. Uh, He wrestled another wrestler by the name of Dustin Rays. And Dustin Rays, another great wrestler, um, which I'm – pretty sure i think he said about something about winding down his career soon uh you know he's been plagued with injuries pretty pretty bad um who, who else now I, i'm happy for larry d uh golly that man you know again he's been a, a big big part of my life and uh to see him wrestle uh for impact wrestling uh teaming with ac romero um it's cool to see him on 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 tv see him on access and, um, you know, he's really been, um, he's been grinding and hustling for such a long time. And, uh, you know, he, he went full bore into the, into the wrestling world and, and he started wrestling with, uh, Rockstar Pro Wrestling up in, uh, Dayton and, uh, and, uh, then he went to Wrestling Revolver and that's how, that's how Impact really got a, got a look at him. And I'm, I'm so happy for him and I'm glad he made it. But for a while, you know, he, he also kind of had that mindset of like, okay, when's my time coming? But he got there. 
And that goes to prove that whoever is wrestling out there right now, you just got to find your opportunities. You got to go make your opportunities too. You just can't wait. And that's what Larry did. Um, another guy that's on the verge of, of becoming someone big, um, who, who is, uh, he's almost there. You know, it's like, he's got some great opportunities and this pandemic started and it kind of messed with him. I think, uh, Alex Zane, he's another Lexington guy. He started wrestling for new Japan pro wrestling when they had their stateside tour back at the beginning of the year. Absolutely awesome. And he made a splash. Uh, you know, he wrestled the likes of Lance Archer, who's now with AEW now. Um, you know, he's he's been in the ring with the Rock and Roll Express. He teamed with the Rock and Roll Express <laughs> in a New Japan show. What world do we live in, you know? Awesome. Um, I fully expect things, once things kind of get back to normal, if, if there is such a normal anymore, um, for him to, to really get back into it and, and make it happen. But all these guys that, I, that I've worked with have a drive and, um, I can't really say any of them have let it pass them by yet. I can't, uh, right. because it goes to show that at any age, your opportunity can come knocking. So that that's where I'm going to go with that. Honestly, I'm not going to say, anyone has let it pass them by it's just their opportunity hasn't come yet but they're finding it right i i tell you it's you know in the world of any type of you know any profession really to get to the pinnacle is extremely difficult and sometimes it's a lot of luck and in exact right opportunities and being at the right place at the right time and then that can be the difference between you know superstardom and 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 not and so i don't think anybody's out there saying, oh, I just always want, you know, I, I didn't work hard enough to do it. I think it's just waiting for those perfect opportunities. And there's so many, uh, you know, guys and, and girls out there who put in so much work and so much effort and were doing amazing things in small promotions that never got that opportunity, um, you know, to be on that big national stage. So kind of why that's why I kind of asked you that question, because I know there's so many out there that, that are putting in that work. And they're, it's not for lack of trying it's, or not for lack of talent. It's just – Right. Some of those opportunities never come. Um, well, and honestly, and honestly, to to kind of go back on uh, to go back on your part one of the question there, what who who have I worked with? You know, like the the big names that I've worked with. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of the guys that I could mention weren't a really big name at the time, but guess what? They're there now. Right. So you know that that that's something to think about. Um. All right. You're on your last one. Question okay. number four. Now, this is actually a question. If, if you if you tuned in to the to the last podcast, this is kind of one I'm probably going to ask most people. So, if you're if uh, you're out there listening and you're planning on being one of my guests, be prepared for this question. But um, the question is like, and I and I let you narrow it down a little bit because I think trying to do this question in all of wrestling is a too big of a question and too hard. So, I'm going to let you pick a federation, any federation that you want. It could be one of the major ones. It doesn't have to be. Okay. And give, or Mount Rushmore, the four great, if you had to build a monument for that uh, particular federation, who are the four people that you would put on it? Ooh. Mm. Um, I'll go WWE, WWF. Okay. Um, if you want to, in WWF, I'll let you do it in an era. An era? Okay. Let's go WWF then. Okay. Um, 
Hulk Hogan. Right. Macho Man Randy Savage. Kentucky boy. Uh huh. Uh, <laughs> um, Not Hogan. <laughs> right, right. Uh, the Undertaker. Okay. For sure. And oh, I'm I'm gonna go back a few years as well. I'm I'm gonna make make this an earlier one. Bruno San Martino. I was going to say, that's literally who I was going to say. You can't forget Bruno if you're going to talk about early WWF. That's, I mean, yeah. I, I would not disagree with you. The only only one is your, the, the Undertaker one I get, but he's barely in that era. Um, well, it, you, we know now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he started in 1990. Right. He started in 1990, but, I mean... For his first few years, even even through ninety six, ninety seven, you got to look at at the number of transformations he went to, went through. He he was always reinventing his character. Um, you got to look at the impact he made in all those matches that he had. I mean one of the, one of, one of the most underrated matches I think he ever had was with Jake the Snake Roberts at WrestleMania eight. Mm-hmm. Um, it was kind of like the first big face match he ever had, and to hear that crowd like at first be like, "Whoa, this is really happening!" Right? Yeah, and just and just to see how he won and see the crowd reaction, I th- it was it was really cool. And then uh, you know you gotta you gotta look at the the all the high profile matches that he had and. Uh, you know, he's virtually the only one that we can say up to this point um, out of out of that group. You know, he's other than San Martino, he had a really lengthy career. I feel like Undertaker was kind of the most consistent. Well, I mean, what? How many decades does Undertaker end up spanning in his career now? Four. Yeah, four four decades. I mean, four decades I now. agree. I agree that he belongs. If, if you're doing all time WWF WWE, he's probably the first person I put on there because of the, the tremendous amount of um, how long his career lasted, how, how he was able to, to conform from time to time. You're talking about a, a straight gimmick that a lot of people could have been given and it just go nowhere. Right. And, uh, and he turned that into a, you know, a four decade career. So to me, that's huge. And um, I'm not disagreeing with you there. I understand in that era, if you're starting with Bruno and then going into like, I guess Bruno to Hogan, um, yeah, I'm not going there. I'm, I'm just going Federation years. <laughs> yeah, I guess I'm um, But, you know, you got to think with Bruno, you know, one of the longest standing heavyweight champions that they ever had. And his appeal never went away as a champion. Um, you know, with, uh, with Macho Man and Hogan, you know, you just got to look at the pure fact that, that they're – well, Macho Man is wrestling based. He's one of my favorite wrestlers of all time, for sure. Um, Hogan was charisma. He he embodied charisma in professional wrestling. And when he was able to walk out to that ring, you know that that pop was unparalleled. Yeah, you 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 would never get the same pop that you did back in the day with Hogan. It's not there anymore. You know, more recently, 
Stone Cold, The Rock, they had the best pops that you would hear in, in, in such a long time. But but Hogan just had that, you know, when, when they said the roof blew off the place, yeah. I mean, you could hear you could hear it outside of the arena. In the last episode, uh, when I asked, um, actually, Greg asked me a question about, he, he knows I little, know a little bit more about the WWF, the WWE stuff, whereas he's more of a, a Memphis guy. And he asked, so he asked me a lot of questions about that. And he was talking about kind of what um, WWE is struggling with now and why I don't, why I think, you know, some of the fan base is, is uh, changing and, and getting, you know, the numbers are a little bit lower. And I said, you know, I really feel like, WWE to always have that guy, sometimes one and two, one or two guys that just really carried the torch. Mm-hmm. And that guy being like a Hogan, like you said, that it felt like everyone in the crowd was behind. Uh, to most recently, in my mind, would be John Cena, would be that person, um, whether you're a fan of him or not, when, you know, when it came to like the entire WWE understanding that that's who's carrying the torch. And I just felt like they haven't been able to go move beyond that as seamlessly as they did from like Hogan to what in my mind, Hogan to Bret Hart, Bret Hart to uh, Stone Cold, Stone Cold to The Rock, The Rock to John Cena. And then, you know, and then now um, to now, who was it passed to? And I just don't feel like the, the fans in general have gotten behind one person like that. And that's kind of what the traditional WWF fan looks for. And without that person right now, I feel like that's what's kind of got people going, you know, having that feeling a little bit that's just personally my opinion well i i think right now right now it's hard to make any kind of judgment based on how the shows are uh because there's no live crowds there's no pops it is odd um definitely i'll be honest i tonight is monday night raw i'm probably not watching because i can't get used to the no crowd set up you know because wrestling wrestling is made by fans too oh yeah definitely. and um you know it, it's just it's just hard but honestly i think drew mcintyre was on his way yeah, he was I well on his way and he was to, he was going to get his moment at wrestlemania in front of all those people at the tampa bay stadium and it's gone because of what happened in this world. Um, I think once there's some kind of sense of normalcy again, you know, I've said that a few times. I don't think, like I mentioned, I don't think we're ever going to be normal again. It's, it's not what we're used to. Um, I, things will change. And uh, when they do change, you know, Hopefully we come out as a better community because of it. But um, but I really think that was that was gonna be the moment where we found the new leader of you know the, the face of the WWE. But you know, at this point time will tell. Who knows? Yeah, so. I feel like Drew certainly has those intangibles to be the great WWE wrestler and that you know he has the physical size he's great on the mic he can be a heel he can be a face very quickly he can be funny he can be mean um he has a great move set in the ring against the big guy great move set in the ring against smaller guys i feel like he has all those tools and that's the reason that you know he was kind of called the the phenom the prototype type wrestler in the mm-hmm. past that he kind of squandered that opportunity but 
to work so hard to come back and and to get right back to that WrestleMania moment. And I mentioned that in the last uh, podcast. I don't want to go too much into it, but I just really feel like it was taken away from him. And I hope that if we do get back to something normal and uh, that he gets that opportunity again uh, to shine. And because I, I really think he can be that guy too. Absolutely. Right, those are your four questions. Uh, great job there, man. You handled them, handled them great. Now you get to ask me four. Um, okay. And I'll go a little bit quicker today because since uh, people probably get sick of hearing my voice so much on all of these, but uh, I certainly want to answer the four things you want to know about from me. Okay. Um, my first one has to be, what was your first experience with wrestling? What got, what was the thing that got you hooked? Uh, for, for me, I'll, I'll let you know what it is for me. The, it's It was my grandfather. My grandfather would turn on wrestling when you know we would wake up in, on the weekends and you know I spent a lot of time at my grandparents as a kid um, just just because you know it's it's always good for the parents to have their sanity uh, so so but my grandparents love to have me down so um, you know at five six years old we'd wake up at you know six or seven in the morning half breakfast. And then it wasn't Saturday morning cartoons. It was Saturday morning wrestling. And we watched USWA and WWF superstars or wrestling challenge, whatever it was at the time. So what's yours? Well, I mean, I'll be honest. Uh, it's a little bit similar to, to from my humble beginnings. Um, I too was uh, a, you know, raised by my parents and my grandparents um, in that era of that happening rather frequently. And uh, we, I spent a ton of time, my grandparents and my grandfather, was a big professional wrestling fan. Um, he, uh, his father, my great grandfather, was the uh, night watchman at the stockyards in Lexington, and um, they would wrestle out there. There'd be professional wrestling at stockyards way back in the day. Okay. And um, so my grandfather had seen, you know, the Poffo family early on. Mm-hmm. Uh, two of the Poffos, and uh, fast forward a bit um, to well, then I'll, I'll fast forward a little bit from there to um, uh, kind of a probably a young teenager, maybe. Um, 13, 14 to be my guess. Uh, and my, who's now my brother-in-law, he was my uh, sister's boyfriend at the time. He took myself and his little brother to a show in Jacksonville. Um, it, that was my first live professional wrestling show. And, uh, we saw it was a NWA presents a world championship wrestling show. Nice. And, uh, I can remember some of the matches, including like, I know Brian Pillman was there, the iron Sheik. um, uh, the Giant Gonzalez, uh, uh, some others I can remember. Buddy Landell uh, wrestled on that show. And um, so I, I, that was my first live event, and, and I loved it. I absolutely loved it. And around that same time, me and my friends, uh, who I've mentioned before on the podcast, DJ and uh, the Baldrick Boys, we were all uh, pretending to be pro wrestlers on the trampoline at the, at the Baldricks. And, um, opportunity to be characters and had you know our, our cardboard belts and so forth so <laughs> i was uh, i was a big uh, uh trampoline wrestler as as i called it uh, i call it now but um so that's kind of you know, kind of kept me in it and then you move forward a bit till i go to college and um, i had the great opportunity to come up here to go to uk and i uh, was a dream of mine to, to go to the university of kentucky and while i'm there i met a guy in college who actually liked wrestling as well his name's adam i've mentioned him on here before and um he, he was like, you know, I started asking me about wrestling and watching wrestling and showing. He's like, he was a big, uh, like, huge fan of, like, Four Horsemen, of uh, oh, yeah. Road Warriors, guys like that. And 
and we'd watch old uh, uh, tapes and um, uh, get the pay-per-views and uh, we started going to shows together as well and uh, traveling around and going to shows together. And that kind of kept me in it. Well, at that same time, when I was at UK, I was living back at my parents' house. And um, my grandfather uh, was still alive. He was well into his 90s at that point. And uh, he lived at the house as well. So I lived in the basement, and uh, my parents and my grandfather lived upstairs. And So on Monday nights, it's during the Monday Night Wars, so you had you know Nitro and, and Raw going full steam and... <laughs> So I'd be sitting in the living room watching wrestling, and my grandfather, was like I said, probably, I mean, pushing mid-90s at that point, he'd sit down there on the couch with me, and every time we're watching WCW and Randy Savage would come out, come down the ring, he'd look at the TV and he'd point and say, hey, there's good old Randy Savage. That's what he said every time. There's good old Randy Savage. Good old Randy uh, Savage. He's still awesome. a big Savage fan, you know, um, so many years later, and uh, that's kind of another big connection to, to wrestling as well that kind of kept me in it. Um, that's also around that same time when I was getting to, like I said, working at the arena and stuff and getting to meet some of them, which kind of held my attention and got me back into it full force, you know, that's kind of held up through today. Um, but, uh, those humble beginnings of being at my grandparents' house, watching Saturday morning wrestling, my grandpa's certainly what kept it. I got it started. And then, uh, it just kind of went from there. Awesome. Now you mentioned working at the, uh, at Rep Arena, um, you know, working, working for the Thoroughblades. Mm-hmm. Um, expand on that a little bit for me. This is question two. Expand okay. on that for me a little bit. And, uh, you know, what kind of what kind of fun wrestling things did you get to do with the Thoroughblades or, or with the arena? Because you mentioned that, you know, you had access to the arena. Um, you know, what was, what was the, some of the cool stuff you got to see? Well, to give a little background, I was uh, given the opportunity – to join a group uh, of entertainers, basically, that entertain the crowd during the hockey games, before the hockey games, during the hockey games, and so forth. Because hockey players really aren't that accessible to the fans. They have, you know, they have to be down in the locker room putting on all that gear. They can't walk around and meet fans and stuff before the games. They do a lot of prep work before the games and stuff. And so they weren't super accessible to the fans. So the Thurman's idea was to have a group of entertaining type people that could entertain the kids, entertain the other fans. Um, before the games and so forth. So I was given that opportunity. Um, and kind of like the wrestling business, one of the first things they said was to come up with a name for yourself. <laughs> uh, and so at the time, like I said, huge wrestling fan. So um, I came up to call myself Nitro. Now, okay. I-, I was not thinking at the time about the Nitro who was on American Gladiators. Uh, right. I got asked that a lot. Like, oh, like the American Gladiator. Like, no, not exactly. That's not what I said. <laughs> So I started buying up patches of the rest of wrestling, like NWO patches, Wolfpack patches, things like that, uh-huh. putting them on my uniform to try to make that connection with Nitro and wrestling. Right. And that worked pretty well, and fans took to it pretty quickly, and uh, would come up and talk wrestling with me before the hockey matches and stuff, and we're you know entertaining them and making balloon animals and all the different things that we did before the games to connect with the fans, and then. Um, during the game, it was our responsibility to kind of hype the fans. If we scored a goal, we led all the, the you know chants and stuff that went along with scoring goals. And then one of the, the coolest thing we, one of the cool, cooler things we got to do is in between periods, we got to go out on the ice and uh, shoot T-shirts to people. And um, so we were trained heavily on that because the biggest rule of being on the ice between periods is don't get hit by the Zamboni. Uh, <laughs> So, uh, which is, I could tell you a really quick story about that one. Um, there's 
another guy on our team that went by the name of Lars, named Wade Larson, good friend of mine. And uh, he uh, kind of had an undertaker feel to him as his, as his character. I don't think he was really going for that, but he did kind of steal a few ideas from undertaker. But anyway, had the long hair and so forth and put more things in his eyes and stuff. And at one game, we're shooting T-shirts into the crowd, and I'm the lead on the ice. There's always somebody you had you had different nights, and certain people are the lead. And so it's your responsibility to make sure everybody's in the right places and not getting hit by the Zamboni. And I'm screaming at Wade because the Zamboni's coming. <laughs> yeah. And uh, he's not listening because he's hyping the crowd, you know, to get them because they all want a T-shirt. And I never understood why they all wanted those Bud Light T-shirts so bad, but they did. <laughs> and... Uh, um, <laughs> He doesn't hear me. He takes a step back and gets hit by the blade of the Zamboni. Oh, no. And all I could think of is we're all getting fired. <laughs> That's all I could think as soon oh, as it happened. Oh, no. I was worried about Wade, but the first thing that crossed my mind, if I'm 100% honest, is, is I'm getting fired. We're all getting fired, and I'm getting fired first because uh, it's my responsibility. But luckily, um, the great Lucian Taylor, who was the leader of our group, uh, um, did not uh, fire us all. Um, Wade did have to sit out a few games. Um, for it, and uh, but um, I, I escaped unscathed, I guess you could say, wow. uh, uh, from it. Um, but uh, yeah, that was kind of the exciting, but also maybe the low light of my of my hockey uh, time. Um, the cool thing was, I would it was wild and crazy to think, as I would get recognized in public, and I'd never had that experience before in my life. I've always just been me. And uh, I was, I'd be walking, going places, and people would yell nitro at me. And uh, I was at a UK football game, and an entire frat that was tailgating comes, <laughs> running, comes running up to me. It's me and my dad are walking into the game, and they all come right, and they're like, you're nitro. And I'm like, yes. <laughs> and they, they want to take pictures with me and stuff. It was really kind of odd. And then they all run away and leave. My dad was like, that was really weird. <laughs> and I was like, yes, it was. And I got my, I did my student teaching at the time, and all the kids knew when uh-huh. I was, and they wanted my autograph. But <laughs> as Nitro, not as me, but as Nitro. So That's my, Nitro. My first day of student teaching, I spent the end of every class signing Nitro autographs, which That's the teacher, hilarious. teacher found hilarious uh, as well. And uh, uh, Vicki Staggis, a wonderful teacher uh, for years over in Lexington at uh, JRU, and she uh, she thought that was so funny, but. Uh, when it comes to the wrestling business, the really cool thing, because I was the you know, was Nitro and that was based on wrestling, is that uh, when the wrestlers would come to town and, like I said, the ring would be in the in the arena and stuff, and that was cool. But uh, one time they came to us and they said, hey, some wrestlers are here and they're going to do a promo during the hockey game. And what they want to do is they want to get in the truck, which drove around on the ice, um, and shoot T-shirts out of the can. Well, only two of us had trained how to use the cannon from the ice and I was one of them. So uh, they said, well, you're the wrestling guy. So you'll, you're going to, you know, this will be good for you. You're going to show these wrestlers all around Rupp arena kind of before kind of give them a tour. And uh, they're not really interested in watching the hockey game. So they're going to hang, hang out in the back. And then uh, first in first uh, after the first period, you're going to, they're going to take the truck out. You're going to be in the back of the truck with them. You have to shoot the t-shirts. They're not allowed to shoot them. You have to shoot them. And uh, they're going to be on a microphone and hype the crowd during the during this period I'm saying, and, and promote their matches for the next night so i'm like okay this is you know this is gonna be pretty cool i don't know who it's gonna be you know so forth so i get to the arena and in walks hawk and animal the legion of doom oh wow 
And I thought I was going to pass out. I don't know. I, all the blood rushed to my face. <laughs> I, I, didn't, I didn't know what to do. Oh, what a rush indeed, huh? Oh, yes. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, you probably know Craig Wink. Uh, and uh, he's another one of the ice patrol there for the Thoroughblades. And I uh, went by the name Blade, actually, and wore the face uh-huh. paint and stuff. And um, he knew the Legion of Doom, and he knew they wore face paint. And, uh, you know, obviously. And so he wanted to ask them how you know, about face paint because he wore face paint in the ring. And they gave him some really cool face paint tips and how, what paint to change to and stuff. From that point on, uh, Craig changed the way he applied his face paint because of what Animal taught him that night uh, at the arena, which was pretty cool. Oh, wow. That, that's, yeah. that's a cool story. That is cool. But I got, to, I got to hang out with them and show them all around Rupp Arena. And they asked me about my name, like why I was called Nitro, and I had all the, in, in, you know, all the uh, WCW stuff on, and, <laughs> and they all, they kind of picked on me a little bit, which was totally fine. And they asked me my favorite wrestlers, and I told them, I said, uh, I said, guys, I said, if, if I'm being 100% honest, you know, I, I wanted to grow up to be like you guys. I said, because you are, you know, bigger than life to me. I said, but in reality, you know, I grew to be, you know, five foot eight and at that time about 120 pounds. There's no way I was going to be like them. So I said, you know, I kind of talked a little bit about guys like, um, you know, uh, smaller guys like Shawn Michaels or so forth and how, you know, I kind of gravitated towards them in the business now. But, um, but yeah, they, they hung out with me. They rode in the truck. I was so nervous in the truck that I shot two t-shirts into the upper deck. And there was nobody up there that night. I <laughs> <laughs> got, got kind of uh, reamed a little bit about that one. Uh, but I was just super nervous. We actually shot WWF t-shirts that night. Uh, we shot oh, that's cool. uh, Raw is War, Undertaker, Triple H, China t-shirts um, that night. I still have a Raw is War from that night that I kept and uh, have the pictures of, of me and the Road Warriors, uh, as I would call them, Legion of Doom at that time. Just an awesome night for me back then. And like I said, we got to be in the arena and, and work out, see the ring in there sometimes and uh, see guys in the back and, and stuff like that, and that was just a, a great time for me. It was just a one year, one season. I was with them, and um, uh, after, right after that, I got married, and uh, my life changed a ton after that. But uh, got my first big teaching job and stuff like that. But that's uh, awesome. What a great time for sure. So, <laughs> so you were talking about you know how people remember you as as uh, Nitro. Yeah. Mine is tiny. <laughs> yeah. Wow. When I, when I was out there at the ballpark at the Legends and I was out on that big old scoreboard out there, uh-huh. people still call me that today. And and what's funny, you know, I'll, I'll give you a little bit of background what I'm doing right now. I work for Samsung. Uh, or oh, I, I was working for Samsung. Uh, I'll be back hopefully once all this ends. Um, but um, there, there was a point where somebody came in and they're like, they just saw me and they're like, Tiny! And everybody around me was like, what was that? <laughs> I said, I said, I'm not going to tell you because, I, you know, don't get me wrong. I love my time doing that. And I, the nickname was great. And I even use it. I even use it on social media. But I try to keep it out of my professional life. <laughs> right, right. I totally understand that one. <laughs> I, uh. I was crazy little stories. I almost worked for the legends. I guess technically I did work for them very, very briefly. Their very first season, they wanted to do something similar to the ice patrol. Right. Uh, and they did tryouts and everything. And I just happened to be walking through the mall and all of a sudden somebody grabs my arm and drags me into this room. And it was one of the former 
Vice Patrol members, and she was like, you have to come do this. You've got to try out. They're going to do the same things, same thing with the legend. So I did my little, you know, spiel <laughs> that I would do and got, got hired on with the legends, and we all showed up. Well, the greatest thing about working for the Thoroughblades was they, were, they treated us really, really well and understood that hockey lasts a long time. Right. So they would have us. They knew we had to get there before the the game started, so to, to entertain the fans as they came in. So they gave us a third period off. We were done after the time between the second and third period. So right. at the end of that break, we would go to the back, change into our regular clothes. We could immediately go back out into the arena and watch the rest of the game if we wanted to, or we could leave. So right. if you had to do that night, you know you could still get out in time to do it, and it didn't feel like it took you know your entire amount of time especially for what they pay you when you're in that type of world, you don't get, it's more for the, I guess the glory than it is for the money. So, oh, absolutely. Yeah. So, uh, so that's, you know, that's how they did. Well, we get to the legends. Well, I don't know if you've been to, I know you've been to a ton of minor league baseball games, but I, I, I worked out there for years. Exactly. They last a long time. Oh yeah. Well, the legends wanted us, you know, we get out there and we were kind of showing them what we would do with the crowd and how we would hype them and hype the game and stuff, and how to entertain the crowd. Well, then they start talking about money and how much time we were going to spend. And they wanted us there like hours before the game started all the way through till the end. Mm-hmm. And like I said, I was in, I, was, I just got married, uh, just bought our first house, you know, life was starting like that. And I was, I go home that night and I said uh, that to my wife, I said, you know, this is what they're going to pay us, and this is how many games they want us to do. Like, and the cool thing about Ice Patrol too is, you had we had crews. There were three crews, and we all, all of us only worked big games like Hershey, like when we played Hershey or things like right, that. Right, right. They split us up, and we split up the other ones, and uh, so you didn't work every single game. You didn't work the entire time, and so it made it worth your time. And uh, but so the legends were like, you're going to work this, and that was just so many hours and so much time. And, you know, and I was a little selfish in the world of I didn't want the time spend that much time for that little amount of money to be away from my my new wife and and stuff. So I walked into Michael Jordan's office and uh, not the Michael Jordan people out there. No, no, I know who you're talking about. Our Lexington Michael Jordan, who yeah. knows around here, and and I just told him I said I couldn't do it, and um, you know I just was straight up. I didn't try to you know make waves. I understand it's, it's minor leagues. They couldn't pay me anymore. Things like that. I didn't try to get any more money or anything. I just went in and said, Hey, I don't think this is for me. I'm sorry. I wasted your time. And he was gracious. And, and they actually ended up going a completely different direction for their entertainment eventually. And, um, mm-hmm. doing it completely different and did a great job. I've always been super proud of the legends and, and the, and how they, how they did their in-game entertainment on the tiny budget. I know they operate on. Right. And, and it was, you know, so, I don't hold any ill will towards them whatsoever for that time. It was really me just making a decision based on the current situation I was in. But Absolutely. almost legends too. Absolutely. Um, all right. So that was question two. Uh, question three. Ooh, here's a good one for you. Okay. Favorite, favorite non-major show. So. Favorite non-WWE show, favorite non-WCW show. Have you been to any indie shows that have just been like, whoa, that was awesome? I think I was at the greatest indie show of all time. Okay. And that is the Pillman Show. Oh, man. Okay. Still have the t-shirt. I'll post a pic of that, too. Uh, That's awesome. I was there. 
uh, Adam and I went up to the Pillman show. That was at uh, Xavier University in the okay. basement of what is their, what at that time was their women's uh, basketball facility. No air conditioning. Oh, uh, gosh. Had to be 120 degrees in that place. Um, <laughs> it started, I think, if I can remember it right, right around noon and went all night, all throughout the entire night. Uh, started out with OBW, uh-huh. uh, up and coming wrestlers. Right. And then into the major promotions eventually. Um, I saw HWA too. Yeah. HWA. Yeah, definitely. And, um, I saw, uh, I can remember, um, a couple odd ones there. I wish I had the shirt right here in front of me. I could tell you all the different amazing matches and stuff that were there, but rapid delivery. Rory Fox was there. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Yeah. And, uh, he wrestled a match and, uh, he'd kind of been, uh, in a couple different little, uh, things about indie wrestlers and stuff like that right around that time. Right. Um, obviously now, the greatest match I've ever seen live happened at that show. And okay. that was a match between um, Stephen Regal and Chris Benoit. And oh, I have heard of this. Yes. And yes. it's really hard to find that match even on tape these days. It's probably somewhere on YouTube if you looked hard enough. But the only place I've ever known it actually showed up on DVD was it was a, an extra on Benoit's DVD. Now, that DVD has since become extremely scarce, obviously, for obvious reasons. Right. Um, WWF will never, or WWE will never, you know, produce it again or, or, or uh, you know, put it out again for us, you know, for people to buy. Right. Um, but for, for obvious, obviously reasons, I would support 100%. They shouldn't. But, um, but in that match, they got a little story behind that match is that the, the radicals were all there. So Eddie Guerrero, right. was the, you know, uh, Malenko was there, and the, the the build match was that the three of them were going to wrestle against um, some other WWF or E wrestlers at the time. I can't remember for the main event. Well, they came out and they said, "Hey, you know, Benoit's got to get home early, so he's not going to wrestle in the main event. He's going to wrestle right now, and he's going to you know wrestle uh, Stephen Regal." Right. So Regal comes out. Well, at the time, Regal. The story, some people think this is a match that helped Regal get a job in WWF because he shows up right in WWF. I always say WWF, I probably always will. But he shows up right after that on TV. Right. And, but it, that's not actually, he had actually already signed. And that's the only reason that he was allowed to wrestle uh, Benoit at that show because WWF was only allowing their wrestlers to wrestle each other. And um, that, was for, that was for a WWF championship too. I think it was the Intercontinental, wasn't it? I think so. That's, yes, it was. And... Uh, so they come out and they build, you know, that's, it's an unbuild match, so we don't really know what to expect. And, and Adam and I had actually moved. We had been sitting on the second row. That's where our tickets were. But it was so hot down there, you couldn't breathe. Uh-huh. So under, the, under the lights, I mean, it had to have been well over 100 degrees by the lights. So they had, opened, they had opened the doors to the gym up near the top, which is, if you're thinking about this, this isn't a huge arena. This is more of a one-level uh, sports, you know, gymnasium type thing right uh, so we moved up to buy one of the doors where you could at least feel a little bit of breeze so you couldn't you know so we could breathe so we're up there looking down on the ring and we're watching this match and those two guys came out and put on the most technical wrestling match i have ever seen in my life and it was you you'd have swore i don't know if you'd been on second row if you'd been on the last row you'd have swore these guys were all out abusing each other. Like, I mean, it was insane. Uh, 
they grabbed each other and headbutted each other for about five, six headbutts. And both came out bloody um, afterward and just put on a technical wrestling clinic for, I don't even know how long the match was. I couldn't tell you. We were just in awe. And Adam's a huge technical wrestling fan. Like, if the moves don't look right, if they're not performed right, he's can be hypercritical. But he, both our jaws were probably on the floor watching this match. And when it was done, I mean, the crowd just erupted. They knew they had just witnessed a, just a great professional wrestling match from beginning to end. And, and uh, oh, man. I, and I, I'm going back and looking at all these, man. It's amazing how much the memorial shows grew. You know, the very first memorial show had six people, or six people, six matches. Really? The second one had 10. The one you were at, 15. And then their last one that they did, which was at Oak Hills High School in 2001, had 17 matches. 17 matches on on, on an indie show. Yeah, and that's... And for those listening, if you don't know the Pillman story, obviously Brian Pillman unfortunately left this world early and his family, wrestlers don't have pensions and things like that. So his family was struggling. And so the wrestlers put on shows, uh, uh, memorial shows to raise money for, for Brian Pillman's family. And so everybody would show up and they would do signing, big signings all day and just really just trying to bring in a, a, just a huge amount of money for his family. And mm-hmm. um so a lot of that time in between, like I said, it starts so early. A lot of time in between the ring is people, different people getting in the ring and trying to, you know, promoting the cause. I actually met Ricky the Dragon Steamboat that day. Oh, wow. Which was huge for me. Yeah. Uh, not so huge for him, I don't think. Uh, but <laughs> <laughs> it, it, was, it was huge for me. Uh, huge Rick, Ricky Steamboat fan. My name's Rick, and so growing up as a kid, Ricky Steamboat, Ric Flair, you know, these are guys that I just, you know... When I, when I trampoline wrestled, I uh, would mimic them. Uh, so uh, to meet Ricky Steamboat that day at the Pillman show, and I, he signed my program, my Pillman program, and um, talked to him a little bit, and that was just a, a huge day that day at that show. But, yeah, when it comes to indie shows, I think I was probably at what would be considered one of the greatest indie shows ever, especially one of the greatest matches um, at an indie show that really doesn't, you know, people don't will never get to see because of, you know, the tragedy that, that followed, but um, that'd be my indie story for you. Well, I'll tell you, I'll tell you one, one of mine, and then I'll go to the last question. My mine was my greatest experience as a fan, uh, and I'm not talking anybody that I, I've been on a show with here. This is just as a fan. Me and a buddy of mine, we drove up to Indianapolis and went to the old National Center. And they have a room upstairs called the um, Egyptian Room. And a promotion based out of Philadelphia is there called Chikara. Have you heard of Chikara? Yeah, yes, I have. Okay. okay. I've seen a little bit on the internet. So Chikara is a comic book come to life. That's what, that's who they are. That's what, what, they, what they're doing. But they did a show up, in, up at the uh, old National Center here. And I kid you not, experience-wise, it was the coolest one because um, I'm trying to pull up the results real quick of it. It was one of the coolest ones because the way they did it was it was a um, the end of a thing called the uh, Young Wines Cup. 
And uh, the Young Lions Cup had guys that were uh, not very not very well known yet, and uh, but they were on their way. They had a lot of talent, and the match had the show had eight matches, and at the time they had all these weird combinations of of faces and heels combining up. You know, it was, it was this weird story that they had going, but it was cool because I got to have an interaction with Chuck Taylor. Okay, yep. Chuck Taylor, AEW, you know, yep. he's one of the best friends. He was a part of a team called FIST, okay? And FIST stands for Friends and Similar Tights. <laughs> okay. That's great. But, you know, we met him outside before they let us in, and, you know, we were talking a little bit, and, you know, we got a picture with him, and, you know, he made a comment. He said, by the end of the night, that, your hat's going to be gone, just so you know. It's like, what? what? It's wearing a Nashville hat, okay? He said, that hat's going to be gone. I, I said, oh, okay. So, fast forward, we get through, like, the first five matches, and they decided to take a break and do an intermission or intermissions with them. Every single wrestler, whether you're a face or a heel comes out and interacts with everybody. Awesome. They take pictures. They don't charge for pictures. The only thing you're paying for is merchandise. If you buy any of their merchandise. So and I'm sitting here and I'm getting pictures with the colony because, you know, those are the guys, the, the, the ants that are out there. Sugar Dunkerton was on the card. They call him Shook D. He wrestled on uh, AEW recently. Uh, Eddie Kingston was there. Uh, Mike Quackenbush wrestled. I mean, you know, Mike Quackenbush is that man is a heck of a wrestler. I mean, if you want a good good podcast to listen to, listen to one with Quack. It's it's awesome. So, so I'm there taking pictures, and all all of a sudden. There's a group called the Batiri who are kind of major heels out there. One of their guys came out and stole my hat. <laughs> and I was sitting back down, and I guess, I guess Chuck Taylor had figured out where I was sitting. And all of a sudden, my hat's gone. One, one, one little goblin took <laughs> it and ran off with it. And I was just like, what is going on here? And I'm there laughing, and my buddy's just like, he, he, it came true. It came true. He took your hat. I, I eventually got it back by the end of the night, but, but I mean, you know, it was cool because at the end of the show, everybody who wrestled came out, and they were in the lobby shaking everybody's hands, applauding them awesome. for coming out. You know, it was just the coolest experience. Their ring announcer was over the top, crazy. His name was Loud and Noxious. <laughs> so that that was one of the events that I will forever remember. And then they came back to India a couple of years later. Still a great show. But the one thing that stood out was they had a way to give away gimmicks to the fans by the end of the night. They had a show or they had on the show, they had the uh, move of the night and then they would draw it out from the hat. And the move of the night was the dusty Rhodes elbow. Oh. So if somebody hit the dusty Rhodes elbow, everybody won something. Oh, that's awesome. 
And the minute somebody hit the elbow, which was like later, much later in the show, yeah. the whole place stood up and popped. Yeah, so, I bet. Yeah, it was cool. You know, so Chikara just kind of gave me my best, my best experience. That's awesome. All right. Last one. All right. Mm. I'm kind of going to take your idea of the Mount Rushmore. Oh, no. <laughs> but I'm going to reverse it. Okay. If take one wrestler and and eliminate everything they have done and their career, who would be the one? Like if I could just get rid of them? If you had, yeah, but but it affects everything everything they, everything they did, and that could substantially affect one of your favorite wrestlers, right? Well, that's a tough question, man. <laughs> Goodness gracious. I mean, one that kind of jumps out at, and it's kind of an interesting uh, one is, well, the Ultimate Warrior is one that I felt like, um, I, I never felt like it, when you go back and watch the wrestling matches, I, I feel like it was, a, it was a gimmick all the time. And, uh, I never found him to be super entertaining as a, as an actual wrestler. And then I didn't, I would many times turn off his promos. Even as a kid, I, I couldn't get into all the ramblings and, 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 and understand what he was talking about half the time. Um, so he's one that, you know, and I say that for two reasons. One, because I really couldn't get into him at that time. And if he hadn't been around, then I feel like I myself personally probably would have gravitated more towards NWA and watching them. But I was always watching WWF to see what was going to happen with the Ultimate Warrior and Hulk Hogan. Right. So it drew my attention, but nine times out of ten, I either didn't watch the match he was in because it was the same match every time, or I turned off the promo because I couldn't understand what in the world he was trying to tell me. You know, you look at, I would love for somebody <laughs> to go back and look at like Macho Man Randy Savage promos and then ultimate warrior promos because one does them perfectly and gets yeah. every point across in the most crazy outrageous manner you've ever seen and that's obviously the macho man right. i can watch him all day long and then yeah. you watch ultimate warrior and you're like does he did they even tell him what to talk about before he went out there? <laughs> i mean like I, it, uh, it is painful sometimes and it was painful to me as a kid so i feel like had he not been around i would have probably not been intrigued by what they were eventually, you know, what are they ever going to, what's he going to do? He has the belt. Is he going to lose the belt? You know, whatever. And then I would have been maybe gotten into more of the four horsemen and into more of the, um, uh, you know, that, you know, promotion more as a kid and then had, had a bigger appreciation for it then instead of, you know, drawn into the WWF as much. So that's probably the one that jumps into my head the, the quickest. Okay. But I know that affects a lot of other things. It does. It does. Because I know that um, you know he held that Intercontinental title so much, and so many guys coming in. That was such a big belt back then, right? Uh, to get to to push guys to the top of the card. That um, you know, I'd say for many years, it it is the top of the card with you know a, a, an Intercontinental title shot is huge, right? So um, probably less than nowadays, but. 
right. huge back then. So then I think of the white belt and things like that. So, I mean, I know so much about it. So I know it affects so much. It probably hurts Hogan's legacy a bit if there's no Ultimate Warrior. Right. Because uh, so many, you know, classics are with those two. Um, it ruins a lot of internet talk about, yeah. you know, the <laughs> about the Warrior, um, which goes on. But uh, what, what do you think? What would Who would you get rid of? Uh, honestly, uh, yeah, I, I asked you that question and I didn't prepare anything. <laughs> it's too uh, tough. <laughs> I, but you're right, though. You're really right. Um, I mean, Warrior's one that really comes to mind for me. Um, I mean, I didn't want to go with somebody like, a, you know, just a failed gimmick or something like that, like puke <laughs> or something. You know, like, I mean, not that Ashton I Booger. <laughs> Or, or something like that, because that doesn't really affect much. But if you're going with one that actually had a big impact on the business, but that I could have done without. Uh, right. That's probably one. I, I'm right there with you. I couldn't stand his promos. It dro- drove me nuts. And, uh, you know, you, you kind of knew the results of the matches without even watching what was going to happen for, for yeah. the most part. Yeah, for the most right. part. You, you know, they it, it talk about Cena having a formulaic match. I mean... Oh my Warrior God. Works. Warrior matches were the same every time. And, mm-hmm. you know, like you said, it didn't matter who he was wrestling. It was going to be that same moveset and that same. Yep. And I guess, you know, they were going with what was selling. I imagine at the time, plenty of t-shirts were selling and, um, you know, kids were painting their faces and with Warrior paint and so forth. And they were you know, watching, tuning in. But, man, it's not even something I can watch today. I can go back and watch a Savage promo. Heck, I could watch a lot of promos. But I could watch... Dusty promos all day long, um, flare promos, oh yeah, and just get get so nostalgic and get so like just pumped, right? Um, but man, I could even watch a good Legion of Doom promo and they they can get off off <laughs> off subject, uh, here and there. But man, I, Warrior is just one I just couldn't get into. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, that's that's good enough for me. That that's I, I'm in the same boat, honestly. <laughs> Uh, I wish I had more in front of me that would show you, well, then this wouldn't have happened, and then this wouldn't have happened. <laughs> and then I'd be like, oh, well, maybe I do like the warrior more than I think. But. It'd be like having one of those boards up that had pictures and, and yarn yeah. everywhere. Just, yeah. okay, this, that, no, uh, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. hey, hey, if getting rid of the warrior means that, that poor Ricky doesn't have to show up and, and shoot fire with wings on, uh, <laughs> maybe, maybe it would be a good thing. Right, uh, right. Breathe fire with his wings on. But, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, but Aaron, buddy, it's been it has been awesome talking with you. This has um, been a pretty a cool thing for me to to kind of pick your brain a bit about the wrestling business and get to talk to you some more in this this way. I wish we were face to face in real life, and uh, you could hang out with the King of the Cast group, and we could all sit and talk wrestling for a while. But but if that was the case, you would uh, probably be working. And uh, right. <laughs> had this opportunity, so you know, uh, um, you know, try to look for the silver linings in a in a tough time. And I think you and I getting to sit here today and talk wrestling and reminisce about old times. Some is certainly one of those silver linings that comes along with this this really weird situation we find ourselves in. Definitely, definitely. I, I enjoyed all my time on here. This was awesome. Um, you know, hopefully we can get a big group together and maybe maybe do this over the internet like we did today. Yeah, maybe I think. We- do a full episode that way. 
And that does it for another episode of King of the Cast. Please remember to follow us on Facebook and Twitter at King of the Cast and send us some questions, some comments. Hey, and if you're out there and you want to be a part of this, you want to be a part of this four questions episodes, hang out with me, talk a little wrestling, send me a message on Facebook or Twitter and we'll see what we can do. Really enjoy it. I really enjoyed today's episode talking with Aaron and picking his brain about professional wrestling and I hope you did too. See you next time on King of the Cast.